0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Paul Siegel of Maynard, Massachusetts. Red Shadows by Robert E. Howard Chapter 5. The End of the Red Trail Limbs and vines slapped against Kane's face. The oppressive steam of the tropic night rose like mist about him. The moon, now floating high above the jungle, limbed the black shadows in its white glow and patterned the jungle floor in grotesque designs Kane knew not if the man he sought was ahead of him but broken limbs and trampled underbrush showed that some man had gone that way some man who fled in haste nor halted to pick his way Kane followed these signs unswervingly believing in the justice of his vengeance he did not doubt that the dim beings who ruled men's destinies would finally bring him face to face with laloup behind him the drums boomed and muttered what a tale they had to tell this night of the triumph of nolanga the death of the black king the overthrow of the white man with eyes like a leopard and a more darksome tale a tale to be whispered in low muttering vibrations the nameless juju was he dreaming kane wondered as he hurried on was all this part of some foul magic he had seen a dead man rise and slay and die again he had seen a man die and come to life again did Nalanga in truth send his ghost, his soul, his life essence forth into the void, dominating a corpse to do his will? Ay, Nalanga died a real death there, bound to the torture stake, and he who lay dead on the altar rose and did as Nalanga would have done had he been free. Then the unseen force animating the dead man, fading, Nalanga had lived again. Yes, Kane thought he must admit it as a fact. Somewhere in the darksome reaches of the jungle and river, Nalonga had stumbled upon the secret the secret of controlling life and death, of overcoming the shackles and limitations of the flesh. How had this dark wisdom, born in the black and blood-stained shadows of this grim land, been given to the wizard? What sacrifice had been so pleasing to the black gods, what ritual so monstrous as to make them give up the knowledge of this magic? And what thoughtless, timeless journeys had no longer taken, when he chose to send his ego, his ghost, through the far, misty countries reached only by death? There is wisdom in the shadows, brooded the drums. Wisdom and magic. Go into the darkness for wisdom. Ancient magic shuns the light. We remember the lost ages, whispered the drums. Ere man became wise and foolish. We remember the beast gods, the serpent gods and the ape gods, and the nameless, the black gods, they who drank blood and whose voices roared through the shadowy hills, who feasted and lusted. The secrets of life and of death are theirs. We remember we remember sang the drums kane heard them as he hastened on the tale they told to the feathered black warriors farther up the river he could not translate but they spoke to him in their own way and that language was deeper more basic the moon high in the dark blue skies lighted his way and gave him a clear vision as he came out at last into a glade and saw the loop standing there the wolf's naked blade was a long gleam of silver in the moon and he stood with shoulders thrown back the old defiant smile still on his face. "'A long trail, monsieur,' said he. "'It began in the mountains of France. It ends in an African jungle. "'I have wearied of the game at last, monsieur, and you die. I had not fled from the village, even, save that I admitted freely. That damnable witchcraft of Nolanga shook my nerves. More, I saw that the whole tribe would turn against me.' Cain advanced warily, wondering what dim, forgotten tinge of chivalry in the bandit's soul had caused him thus to take his chance in the open. He half-suspected treachery, but his keen eyes could detect no shadow of movement in the jungle on either side of the glade. "'Monsieur, guard Le Loup's voice was crisp. "'Time that we ended this fool's dance about the world. Here we are alone.' The men were now within the reach of each other, and Leloup, in the midst of his sentence, suddenly plunged forward with the speed of light, thrusting viciously. A slower man had died there, but Cain parried and sent his own blade in a silver streak that slit Leloup's tunic as the wolf bounded backward. Leloup admitted the failure of his trick with a wild laugh, and came in with the breathtaking speed and fury of a tiger, his blade making a white fan of steel about him. Rapier clashed on Rapier as the two swordsmen fought, They were fire and ice opposed. Leloup fought wildly but craftily, leaving no openings, taking advantage of every opportunity. He was a living flame, bounding back, leaping in, fainting, thrusting, warding, striking, laughing like a wild man, taunting and cursing. Caneskill was cold, calculating, scintillant. He made no waste of movement, no motion not absolutely necessary. He seemed to devote more time and effort toward defense than did Leloup, Yet there was no hesitancy in his attack, and when he thrust, his blade shot out with the speed of a striking snake. There was little to choose between the men as to height, strength, and reach. Leloup was the swifter by a scant, flashing margin, but Kane's skill reached a finer point of perfection. The wolf's fencing was fiery, dynamic, like the blast from a furnace. Kane was more steady, less the instinctive, more the thinking fighter though he too was a born slayer, with the coordination that only a natural fighter possessed. Thrust, parry, a feint, a sudden whirl of blades. Ha! the wolf sent up a shout of ferocious laughter as the blood started from a cut on Kane's cheek. As if the sight drove him to further fury, he attacked like the beast men named him. Kane was forced back before that blood-lusting onslaught, but the Puritan's expression did not alter. Minutes flew by. The clang and clash of steel did not diminish. Now they stood squarely in the center of the glade, Leloup untouched, Kane's garments red with the blood that oozed from wounds on cheek, breast, arm, and thigh. The wolf grinned savagely and mockingly in the moonlight, but he had begun to doubt. His breath came hissing fast, and his arm began to weary. Who was this man of steel and ice who never seemed to weaken? Leloup knew that the wounds he had inflicted on Cain were not deep, but even so, the steady flow of blood should have sapped some of the man's strength and speed by this time but if Cain felt the ebb of his powers, it did not show. His brooding countenance did not change in expression, and he pressed the fight with as much cold fury as at the beginning. Loup felt his might fading, and with one last desperate effort he rallied all his fury and strength into a single plunge. A sudden, unexpected attack too wild and swift for the eye to follow, a dynamic burst of speed and fury no man could have withstood and Solomon Kane reeled for the first time as he felt cold steel tear through his body. He reeled back, and Leloup, with a wild shout, plunged after him, his red sword free, a gasping taunt on his lips. Kane's sword, backed by the force of desperation, met Leloup's in mid-air, met, held, and wrenched. The wolf's yell of triumph died on his lips as his sword flew singing from his hand. For a fleeting instant he stopped short, Arms flung wide as a crucifix, and Kane heard his wild mocking laughter peal forth for the last time as the Englishman's rapier made a silver line in the moonlight. Far away came the mutter of the drums. Kane mechanically cleansed his sword on his tattered garments. The trail ended here, and Kane was conscious of a strange feeling of futility. He always felt that, after he had killed a foe. Somehow it always seemed that no real good had been wrought as if the foe had, after all, escaped his just vengeance. With a shrug of his shoulders, Kane turned his attention to his bodily needs. Now that the heat of battle had passed, he began to feel weak and faint from the loss of blood. That last thrust had been close. Had he not managed to avoid its full point by a twist of his body, the blade had transfixed him. As it was, the sword had struck lancingly, plowed along his ribs, and sunk deep in the muscles beneath the shoulder-blade, inflicting a long, shallow wound." Cain looked about him and saw that a small stream trickled through the glade at the far side. Here he made the only mistake of that kind that he ever made in his entire life. Mayhap he was dizzy from loss of blood, and still mazed from the weird happenings of the night. Be that as it may, he laid down his rapier and crossed, weaponless, to the stream. There he laved his wounds and bandaged them as best he could, with strips torn from his clothing. Then he rose and was about to retrace his steps when a motion among the trees on the side of the glade where he first entered caught his eye. A huge figure stepped out of the jungle, and Cain saw and recognized his doom. The man was Golka, the Gorilla Slayer. Cain remembered that he had not seen the black among those doing homage to Nalonga. How could he know the craft and hatred in that dusky slanting skull that had led the Negro, escaping the vengeance of his tribesmen, to trail down the only man he had ever feared? The black god had been kind to his neophyte, had led him upon his victim helpless and unarmed. Now Gulka could kill his man openly, and slowly, as a leopard kills, not smiting him down from ambush as he had planned, silently and suddenly. A wide grin split the negro's face, and he moistened his lips. Cain, watching him, was coldly and deliberately weighing his chances. Gulka had already spied the rapiers. He was closer to them than was Cain the Englishman knew that there was no chance of his winning in a sudden race for the swords. A slow, deadly rage surged in him, the fury of helplessness. The blood churned in his temples, and his eyes smoldered with a terrible light as he eyed the negro. His fingers spread and closed like claws. They were strong, those hands. Men had died in their clutch. Even Gulka's huge black column of a neck might break like a rotten branch between them. A wave of weakness made the futility of these thoughts apparent to an extent that needed not the verification of the moonlight glimmering from the spear in Gulka's black hand. Kane could not even have fled had he wished, and he had never fled from a single foe. The guerrilla slayer moved out into the glade. Massive, terrible, he was the personification of the primitive, the Stone Age. His mouth yawned in a red cavern of a grin. He bore himself with the haughty arrogance of savage might. Kane tensed himself for the struggle that could end but one way. He strove to rally his waning forces. Useless, he had lost too much blood. At least he would meet his death on his feet, and somehow he stiffened his buckling knees and held himself erect, though the glade shimmered before him in uncertain waves and the moonlight seemed to have become a red fog through which he dimly glimpsed the approaching black man. Kane stopped, though the effort nearly pitched him on his face. He dipped water in his cupped hands and dashed it into his face. This revived him, and he straightened, hoping that Gulka would charge and get it over with before his weakness crumpled him to the earth. Gulka was now about the center of the glade, moving with the slow, easy stride of a great cat stalking a victim. He was not at all in a hurry to consummate his purpose. He wanted to toy with his victim, to see fear come into those grim eyes which had looked him down, even when the possessor of those eyes had been bound to the death stake. He wanted to slay, at last, slowly, glutting his tigrish bloodlust and torture-lust to the fullest extent. Then suddenly he halted, turned swiftly, facing another side of the glade. Kane wondering, followed his glance. At first it seemed like a blacker shadow among the jungle shadows. At first there was no motion, no sound, but Kane instinctively knew that some terrible menace lurked there in the darkness that masked and merged the silent trees. A sullen horror brooded there, and Kane felt as if, from that monstrous shadow, inhuman eyes seared his very soul. Yet simultaneously there came the fantastic sensation that these eyes were not directed on him. He looked at the gorilla slayer. The black man had apparently forgotten him. He stood, half-crouching, spear-lifted, eyes fixed upon that clump of blackness. Kane looked again. Now there was motion in the shadows. They merged fantastically and moved out into the glade, much as Gulka had done kane blinked was this the illusion that precedes death the shape he looked upon was such as he had visioned dimly in wild nightmares when the wings of sleep bore him back through lost ages he thought at first it was some blasphemous mockery of a man for it went erect and was tall as a tall man but it was inhumanly broad and thick and its gigantic arms hung nearly to its misshapen feet then the moonlight smote full upon its bestial face and Cain's mazed mind thought that the thing was the black god coming out of the shadows, animated and bloodlusting. Then he saw that it was covered with hair, and he remembered the manlike thing dangling from the roof-pole in the native village. He looked at Gulka. The negro was facing the gorilla, spear at the charge. He was not afraid, but his sluggish mind was wondering over the miracle that brought this beast so far from his native jungles. The mighty ape came out into the moonlight, and there was a terrible majesty about his movements. He was nearer Cain than Gulka, but he did not seem to be aware of the white man. His small, blazing eyes were fixed on the black man with terrible intensity. He advanced with a curious, swaying stride. Far away the drums whispered through the night, like an accompaniment to this grim Stone Age drama. The savage crouched in the middle of the glade, but the primordial came out of the jungle with eyes bloodshot and bloodlusting. The negro was face to face with a thing more primitive than he. Again ghosts of memories whispered to Cain. You have seen such sights before, they murmured, back in the dim days, the dawn days, when beast and beast-man battled for supremacy. Gulcombe moved away from the ape in a half-circle, crouching, spear-ready. With all his craft he was seeking to trick the gorilla to make a swift kill, for he had never before met such a monster as this, and though he did not fear, he had begun to doubt. The ape made no attempt to stalk or circle, he strode straight forward toward Gulka. The black man who faced him and the white man who watched could not know the brutish love, the brutish hate that had driven the monster down from the low, forest-covered hills of the north to follow for leagues the trail of him who was the scourge of his kind, the slayer of his mate, whose body now hung from the roof-pole of the negro village. The end came swiftly, almost like a sudden gesture. They were close now, beast and beast-man, and suddenly, with an earth-shaking roar, the gorilla charged. A great hairy arm smote aside the thrusting spear, and the ape closed with the negro. There was a shattering sound, as of many branches breaking simultaneously, and Gulka slumped silently to the earth to lie with arms, legs, and body flung in strange, unnatural positions. The ape towered an instant above him, like a statue of the primordial triumphant. Far away Cain heard the drums murmur, "'The soul of the jungle! The soul of the jungle!' This phrase surged through his mind with monotonous reiteration. The three who had stood in power before the black god that night, where were they? Back in the village where the drums rustled lay Sanga, King Sanga, once lord of life and death, now a shriveled corpse with a face set in a mask of horror. Stretched on his back in the middle of the glade lay he whom Cain had followed many a league by land and sea, and Gulka the gorilla-slayer lay at the feet of his killer, broken at last by the savagery which had made him a true son of this grim land which had at last overwhelmed him. Yet the black god still reigned, thought Cain dizzily, brooding back in the shadows of this dark country, bestial, blood-lusting, caring not who lived or died, so that he drank. Cain watched the mighty ape, wondering how long it would be before the huge simian spied and charged him. But the gorilla gave no evidence of having even seen him, Some dim impulse of vengeance yet unglutted prompting him, he bent and raised the negro. Then he slouched toward the jungle, Golka's limbs trailing limply and grotesquely. As he reached the trees the ape halted, whirling the giant form high in the air with seemingly no effort, and dashed the dead man up among the branches. There was a rending sound as a broken projecting limb tore through the body hurled so powerfully against it, and the dead gorilla slayer dangled there hideously. A moment the clear moon limned the great ape in its glimmer, as he stood silently gazing up at his victim, then like a dark shadow he melted noiselessly into the jungle. Kane walked slowly to the middle of the glade and took up his rapier. The blood had ceased to flow from his wounds, and some of his strength was returning, enough at least for him to reach the coast where his ship awaited him. He halted at the edge of the glade for a backward glance at Leloup's upturned face and still form, white in the moonlight and at the dark shadow among the trees that was Gulka, left by some bestial whim, hanging as the she-gorilla hung in the village. Afar the drums muttered, The wisdom of our land is ancient. The wisdom of our land is dark. Whom we serve, we destroy. Flee if you would live, but you will never forget our chant. Never, never, sang the drums. Kane turned to the trail which led to the beach, and the ship waiting there. End of chapter and end of Red Shadows by Robert E. Howard